Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. We've got a special episode for you guys today on celibacy and the priesthood. Yeah, we're going to talk about the historical context of priestly celibacy, and we're going to have a conversation with a celibate priest and a married Catholic priest. To be celibate or not to be celibate? That is the question. Guys, as always, we're here in the studio with Father Rich and Ryan. We have another uh, guest, uh, special guest, Father Justin Fletcher from the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. You were good at that, man. I did that. I did that good. Father, Father, Ryan. Father, Ryan. Ryan. Got a couple fathers and a couple Ryans. What could go wrong? (laughs) Two two priests and two Ryans walk into a bar. (laughs) That's a bunch of sinners. That's going on after the show. And then? then. No, today we're talking about the Catholic Church and priestly celibacy. Um, there's a long tradition of celibacy in the priesthood, and there's also a long tradition of married priests. And we're going to try to sort that out a little bit, look at the uh, the spiritual aspects of it, the historical aspects of it, where we are in the church now, where it has been uh, historically, and uh, have a conversation. And where are you right now? You are with the Catholic Talk Show, and you can find us on the interwebs at www.catholictalkshow.com. And especially on our social media pages, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And most importantly, where you need to find us and where you need to support us is at the Patreon app. So patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. And that's your contributions for our show to continue to grow to serve you. So let's jump right in to the history of celibacy. So I think the I think the best place to start with the history of celibacy in the Catholic Church and the priesthood is with the first pope. Now, Scripture tells us unequivocally that St. Peter was married. I mean, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now, for her husband, that might not always be so like, Jesus, what are you doing, right? I was almost free of her. But it does tell <laughs> for certain that St. Peter was married. Um, it, now, you it, don't feel that way about your mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. We yeah. get along actually really great. I heard I heard that you have a great love for your mother-in-law. Yeah, my, my wife's like, you guys are... My, my wife says that me and my mother-in-law are too much alike, and it irritates her sometimes. You always marry your mother. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in Scripture, we, we definitely know that some of the apostles were married. But then we also read in Scripture that St. Paul also extols the, the benefits, the virtues of celibacy, specifically for his priesthood and for Jesus Christ. And, and that's where it's questionable whether Paul was married or not. And right. people, I mean, people argue both. Like, Paul was celibate. Clearly, John is really held up as as celibate. But, uh, yeah, that's like a point of, of... Yeah, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, For I wish that all men were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So he was saying, mm-hmm. I am celibate. Mm-hmm. Now, whether he had been married before and... Whatever, you know. Um, but St. Paul right there is saying, absolutely, celibacy is a gift, right? But that doesn't exclude the, perhaps the idea that there can be married priests because Peter himself was married. Mm-hmm. And for the first, I don't know, for the first century of the church, 
married priests were not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, too, about Paul, this is Paul's eschatology coming into full focus. So I'm of the position that Paul was married, but then he was no longer married and then gave of himself in these in that form of celibacy of just complete gift of self. So I, I see that that is more of like a Pauline kind of approach to now he well, is. But Peter said the same thing. He said, Lord, we have, we have left our homes and followed you. So yes. that gives a connotation that they've left that their families. Peter may be in that same vein. And that's exactly. how I've always looked at it as well. Now, there's also, um, but also in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes, apostles like other Christians have the right to be, and many of them are married. Mm-hmm. So again, he's saying, look, apostles have the right to be married. As many Christians are, but also it's better if if you're not to be like me. He wishes that you would. So that leaves it pretty open from the very early church whether or not priests were married. Now, like I said, for the first millennia of the church, it was really common for priests to be married. Uh, in the Eastern Church, priests have always continued to be married. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the Eastern Church, they have the, you know. If you're, if it's you're, kind of a specification. If yes. if you're approaching ordination and you are not married, once you get that ordination, once you get ordination, you are celibate. However, if you're married leading up to ordination, obviously you can still exercise the sacrament of matrimony and the sacrament of holy orders in in their right. Yeah, and some of the earliest writings of the church outside of those of the extra biblical sources come from the Council of Carthage in 390. And uh, Canon 3 of the Council of Carthage said, It is fitting that the holy pr- bishops and priests of God, as well as the Levites, those who are in service of the divine sacraments, so your, your various holy orders, observe perfect continence so that they may obtain in all simplicity what they're asking from God. Uh, they should abstain from conjugal intercourse with their wives so that they may serve at the altar to keep perfect chastity. Now, that doesn't say that they can't be married. So a lot of the times when you look and people say, well, priests were married for the first millennia of the church— Possibly, yes. But were they celibate within those marriages and did they then live as brother and sister in that marriage because that was what required of the priest? It's a lot of historians would contend that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as a as kind of a misnomer, celibacy, as as I understand it, is more in line with the the whole approach that I forego marriage for the sake of the kingdom mm-hmm. as opposed to... Um, you know, what is, what does perfect chastity and countenance look like in marriage when one gives of themselves to a religious way of life? So, you know, we, all throughout history, you have examples of people that exercised the marital state, had children, and then respectively went to the convent or the monastery and lived out their remaining days, even though they were, <coughs> even though they were married, they were living out a certain sense of countenance and and uh, no conjugal activity, basically. Right. So I think it's just an important distinction to make, especially as we as we begin to talk with Father Justin and his experience of being a married member of the clergy, as well as just you know how this all fits into the scope of the Universal Church. So. Obviously, even to this day, we have married priests. Mm-hmm. And what is that? It's like, well, hello. Hey there. <laughs> hey, I'm married priest. I'm Father Mary. And priest. we also have celibate priests. 
That's me. I get to sleep in a bed by myself for the rest of my life. It's the best. You're so lucky. I bet you sleep great. So, Father Justin, tell us a little bit about how it is that you came to be a married Catholic priest. Yeah, sure. So I um, I was ordained first as uh, an Episcopal priest um, about uh, oh six years ago, and uh, and I exercised ministry as an Episcopal priest for three years. I'd been I was married when I got ordained. I've been married. For, What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Mallory. Hi, Mallory. Shout out to you, Mallory. Yeah. And uh, and so we got married in two thousand seven, and I was ordained as an Episcopal priest in two thousand and thirteen, and. There had already been um, there had already been the provision for uh, so so no as as father said no no priest gets married right all right so once you're a priest uh, if my wife were the croak tomorrow then that's the end for me right uh, and uh, but there had been a provision as there's in the Eastern churches uh, for for specific reasons why uh, the the discipline of the Latin rite which is priestly celibacy could be um, could be dispensed from. And um, the way that that has worked out was that the the creation of the ordinariate um, was that um, there were things that um, there were things that when you dr- say creation of the ordinariate, you mean the the, the promulgation. So by you Pope went Benedict. from being Episcopal priest to Anglican before. No, no, no. Okay, no. you went straight no. from Episcopalian into Catholic. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So. Um, so they, they they create the provision, and of course we all get judged one by one. So right, so so to convert as an Episcopal priest, you just have to convert. You don't, there's no like sign here, and you'll get to be a priest in six weeks or something like that. It's just you need to convert and then go through the sermon process all over again because mm, uh, it's it's a different thing altogether, right? I didn't realize uh, yeah, that. Yeah, so it's not well, like yeah. a, the discernment to be a Episcopal Episcopal priest has got to be a completely different. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah it's a different thing altogether, and so. Um, so one by one, they say, well, so you're married, you, you, you've you been an Episcopal priest, and we'll consider um, dispensing you from uh, clerical celibacy um, precisely so that you can minister to these people um, and as the exception. And so there, 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 are, there have been these exceptions uh, for people in that situation. And the reason why is, is that um, growing up as a Protestant— uh, no one ever told me that celibacy was ever good. It was, I mean, I never even heard of that before, that someone would ever be celibate. And I mean, that, that was not, I mean, we talk about that all the time, the abstract, that Protestants don't grow up with, don't have the fullness of the truth. Mm-hmm. But that's like a real practical thing that, I mean, I never heard that once in my whole life, that you would ever be celibate for the sake of the kingdom, as as our Lord uh, very, actually very clearly teaches, as it turns out. And as St. Paul very clearly reiterates. And so... So I applied uh, for ordination in the Catholic Church through the ordinariate, and uh, I was given that dispensation. Uh, uh, together, of course, it has to be with your wife saying um, that she she understands the duties of a priest, that she's ready and willing to support that, uh, and that we raise our children, of course, as Catholics. And and of course, I have I have two little boys, um, and they'll they'll grow up as Catholics, and they know the, the full, they'll know the fullness of the truth. And so, if they want to be priests, which I hope at least one of them does, uh, they'll be. They'll be celibate. Um, now, would, now, would they automatically, because of the uh, virtue of growing up in the ordinariate, are they ordinariate? Are they members of that? They are members of the ordinariate, but they would be able to apply for ordination like anyone else could apply for an ordination uh, in any diocese. Um, so a priest now, so for example, for your kids in 20 years or whatnot, um, if they were to get married, would they also then be able to be a priest? No, 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 no because they, like I said, I grew up a Protestant, so I didn't know the fullness of the truth. Um, but 
um, my kids will grow up with being taught that self and that and that discerning that vocation is part of what it means to grow up as a Catholic. And mm-hmm. and some of the why this conversation I think is a little tender sometimes is is because a lot of people didn't get taught very well growing up either. Mm-hmm. So weren't actually taught to discern those things. But but that's one of the things <coughs> that we'll definitely do for and our you know and that's part of our parish culture is that every person needs to be discerning where they have a call to uh, the priesthood or religious life. And so they'll know that. And so if they want to be ordained, uh, so all the lifelong Catholics who are members of the ordinariate, uh, they're all they're all celibate. And so we have men who are uh, who are training for the priesthood right now in the seminaries who are who are uh, who take vows of celibacy. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the specific challenges, which I can only imagine are numerous, of being a Catholic priest and also having to be a husband and a father? Well, I'll give you an easy an easiest example was like about a month ago. Uh, I sang mass on Saturday morning, and um, and it was for, for a big crowd of people. Uh, they were having a conference at the parish, and they they come in, and, and this fellow comes into the sacristy after mass, and I'm taking all my investments off. And I'm trying to head out because my son's got a soccer game, and so I'm trying to race out. And the guy stops me and tells me how grateful he was for the mass and all the rest. And I said, "Oh, thank you. No, it's nice to meet you." And I'm backing out the door, and he says, "Father, uh, by the way, uh, could you hear my confession?" <laughs> I got this soccer game, but the answer, of course, is is yes because that guy's soul is on the line. You know, I mean, because when 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 God calls us to make a confession, we respond to that. I mean, that's the purification of our soul. That's what a priest is made for, right? Is to be the one who is the conduit that reconciles people to God. Uh, and so, I missed my son's soccer game because I was sitting in the confessional, and uh, that's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because the vocation to the priesthood and the vocation to the marriage state are both one hundred percent vocations, right? Uh, and so. So you just they just sit on that uh, like that, but but the demands of the priesthood in some real ways are such that um, they can't you can't say no to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no there's no saying no, but also the demands of the the demands of family life also you can't say no to, and so you just try to, to it's a it's a balancing act uh, that is. Uh, how tired are you? How t- <laughs> I, drink, I drink a lot of coffee and I sleep really well at night. I sleep well. Uh, that is when my children are not in my bed. I sleep really well at night. <laughs> so, what are some of the challenges of the celibate priesthood? So, I, I think particularly I, really related to celibacy. Yeah. So, I, I think um, well, one, I have a, a very similar experience in relationship to the first several years of my priesthood, adjusting into celibacy. You know, clearly, when you're in the seminary, you're putting on that celibate way of life. But you haven't yeah. truly making you, you the haven't you, you didn't you make the, the vow yet, yet you know <laughs> so you didn't make that sacred promise you know within the church and and uh, you know kind of settling into the reality of celibacy and joking jokingly you know talking about Nacho Libre and you know like I get to be in a bed by myself you know it's fantastic but <clears throat> you're kind of entering into that and you're starting to kind of deal with the emotional ramifications of your decision and what you've done. So you get excited and you're enthusiastic. I remember, you know, going into Ave Maria University and the most noble thing that I could do with my life, the greatest good that I could ever do is to give my life for the sake of Christ and the kingdom and to be celibate. So let's make this happen right now. Then obviously as time goes on, you start to really wrestle with it. Then you become a celibate. Then you're settling into that reality and struggling. I was struggling for the first, you know, couple of years, two, three years. And I'll never forget this experience that I had. I was counseling somebody and I was sitting in my chair 
and I lock into whenever I'm in a position where I'm where I'm listening to somebody, I lock in and everything else in my life goes silent. And the prime objective is me receiving this person that's sharing some type of difficulty. So I'm doing that. And as this person is sharing, I get this deep experience of prayer where God was saying, Richard, would you be so present to my daughter if your children and your wife were very angry at you right now and that your teenager is out at the beach Smoking pot. <laughs> and smoking the weeds. Smoking the weeds. you became a priest is because if you had kids, they'd be They would definitely be doing that, yes. But if you moved to Oklahoma, there's no beaches. <laughs> I've heard and this then, pot, though. And then down the list, it's like, and, and your wife is raising three other children, little ones at home, and you're never around because you are constantly doing work around the church. And they're unhappy, and she's unhappy, and she's angry at you, and you're in the middle of a fight. Are you... Are you going to be, are you going to be present to her? And I just sat there in silence and locked back in because it communicated very clearly. Celibacy is a gift. I've received this gift and now I can apply it in love and authenticity and in a genuine relationship. I can apply this pastorally to the people that God brings into my life that I, that I have responsibility for caring for. Right. But it's it's not devoid of challenges because yeah. you know Does there can lonely? be there can be great periods of time of severe loneliness. Henry Nowen in a number of his books described celibacy as the long loneliness. Mm-hmm. And trust me, there's there's periods of time where you get into that place of you know I just want to be known and I want to know someone. And I think down to the very fundamentals of what you experience as a celibate priest is that ache. And to feel like I don't have anybody that knows my intimacies of life. I don't have someone right next to me that's sharing in that place. But what's happened as a catalyst, because I've gone there in thought and experience and emotion, is that now I recognize, wow, that is what is fundamental to a married life, is the knowledge of the other. And to truly know someone in the biblical sense is to know them not only in body, but in mind and heart and spirit and deep longing. So what is the heart truly longing for? I'm wrestling with it because I don't have anything right there. And then I'm wrestling with it in a sense of being invited into the celibacy of Christ because he offered himself in the same manner to receive the same insights and minister in the same places of people's lives. I have a friend, uh, priest, Father Eddie, shout out. That said that the worst part of being I really want to meet Father Eddie because like I've seen him. him on social media. I think we'd get along really well. He said, AKA what, Eddie Money. <laughs> he, said what, he said for him the, the worst part of priestly celibacy is when he has the flu or when he has the cold, mm. right? And he's at home and he's just hanging out being a priest and being sick and like no one to bring him chicken soup or anything. Like He's like, that's actually your... The most practically difficult part of being a celibate priest. And I have been so blessed because I've had so many people, because I get sick a lot. I I, I get like eats, <laughs> soup. He's a sicko. <laughs> no, I get I get I get sick all the time with bronchitis and asthma stuff and and all because and, air is too spicy for you. <laughs> and um so many parishioners and people that I feel very close to, you know, in, in relationship yeah, to friendships. You are a I'm a total extrovert. extrovert. I'm a total extrovert. Oh, yeah. So like, I, a lot I've of people would blessed. not be comfortable saying, hey, look, I'm sick and I got snot dripping out of my face. And, and I have no problem where I'm just like, you know, oh, I'm so sick. Baby, <laughs> so grilled cheese. Yeah. My handkerchief is drenched. 
I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm crying. Just just <laughs> so, you know, on the topic of, <coughs> of clerical celibacy, there's, did you know there's actually been two popes who had children who became pope themselves? Yes. Mm. Yeah. We talked about it in a previous episode. Yeah. So, I mean, Pope uh, Hormistas uh, from 1514, from 514 to 523, he was the father of Silvarius. And St. Silvarius. And St. Silvarius was pope from 536 to 537. So homeboy was exiled on an island yep. off the west coast of Italy called Ponza. And he he was, uh, the church was under severe persecution at that period of time. And he died a martyr. And he is beloved. And every Silverius. June, yeah, every June there's a huge celebra- celebration of his feast and you get in boats, and you tool around in boats, and you drop carnations in the water, oh, wow. and you process with St. Silvarius on a boat, and carnations are flying everywhere, and trumpets are blaring. It is one of the coolest festivals. If you ever get a chance to go to Italy around his feast day, don't miss it. It's a beautiful island called Ponza. You get to it from Formia. And, uh, it, yeah, I actually, Sal DeFazio, he's named after St. Silvarius, and he's uh, from Ponza. Sal, Sal DeFazio. Yeah. Sal DeFazio. Uh, and, a few guidos. Yeah, yes, you guys do. So, uh, a few Sir, too many. Sergius III uh, was the father of Pope John XI. <coughs> mm-hmm. So again, and there's, there's been some other ones. Um, pope Alexander VI, uh, his son actually was a cardinal, Cesare Borgia. Uh, so, I mean, there, I, I do think that there is some element to how, ter- how terrible would it be if the papacy or a particular archbishop uh, Became a uh, hereditary right, and this is this is that not, would be awful. This is not or to consider the illegitimate children that that have been had over the over well, the years. Either. They're illegitimate, illegitimate, so we're not bringing them up because yeah. you know it's illegitimate. Yeah, they're just in the back room playing <laughs> soccer or whatever. But popes and, <laughs> children, illegitimate children of popes. There's you know <laughs> probably monks and monasteries like bye bye. That's where you go. Yeah, bye. Yeah. No, the history, the history of the church, the history of the church is is proud full. Of stuff like that, yeah, and but it doesn't it doesn't change the structures of how Jesus has established His church and the structures that we should come in contact with and consider, especially in in this time of the church where we are struggling to meet the pastoral needs of the people. And I've had conflicts with scheduling. For example, I have a, a person that I need to visit in the hospital, and this person comes up to me and says, "Father, could you hear my confession?" And it's like, well, the times for confession are such and such and Read such and sign, such. Son. Read the sign. I don't have the ability right now to hear your confession. Are you dying? You know, is this something that is going to take pastoral priority? So, you know, the priority becomes how am I serving the greatest need and the needs that are being presented to me? And I think you did that very, very well in relationship to to your situation. And, and it's tough. It's, it's very, very hard because another aspect of celibacy today is that I cannot be available to everybody's wants. I sometimes struggle to be present to everybody's needs, but how can I prioritize the people of God's needs to reach the most important ones so that I'm serving the greatest number of people that I can? Yeah, there's two. up a good point about, you know, maybe how bishops lead a celibate a celibate priest and and then bishops lead a priest who isn't. I mean, the the bishop would have to know that the vocation of of being married is, you know, obviously 
uh, something that's very important yeah. to the life yeah. of your wife and your children as the assignment or whatever it is comes through. So there has to be some sort of structurally, you know, presence present there. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, you know, that, and that's a, it's a challenge too, right? Because, um, priests are, are, are extensions of the bishop and, uh, and ought, and ought to be and have to be ready to go wherever the bishop tells them to go. Right. Uh, and, uh, but whenever, yeah, uh, whenever you see those, <laughs> it's a bad way to say it, but you see those anchor babies, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that creates challenges. Now I'm very fortunate. My bishop, uh, is, is a very, very good bishop and, and, and takes really good care of us. And, and he's used to it. Cause we have, you know, in the ordinary right now, uh, the majority of our priests are married. So he, he sees it all the time, but we also have to know that when he tells us to go somewhere, yep. we're going to go. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and and we're also fortunate to have parishes that understand it. Though here in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, they do a priest and seminarian basketball game every year. Yeah, and um, so I played on the priest team. Uh, we lost, but uh, wasn't anyway. That's another story for. Different I saw day. the video. You, you guys got you guys like fourteen points. Yeah, we got whooped. Yeah, we got, we got whooped. Actually, we got whooped. Uh, well, we didn't practice very much. And the coach, uh, he, he got to me. I was the last one off the bench. Thank you very much. He said, <laughs> do you know the rules of basketball? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Like, you know, it, how to throw the ball in and stuff. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so I, uh, at halftime, uh, my little kid, I got a little one-year-old comes running up to me. I'm holding them. And these people are like, what in the <laughs> world is that? <laughs> you know, look, at, look at Padre. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but we're fortunate in our parishes that they have an understanding of that uh-huh. and and that, that and they're very, very generous with yeah. that. Um, but but again, you know, the thing I, I think is very important to bring up is that um, sometimes people try to use people like me as like the church is going to change on this, right? So this is, a, the, this is like the, the testing ground for, for uh, what's coming down the pike. But uh, as I read it, um, Christ very clearly says that uh, those who are celibate for the sake of the kingdom are producing greater fruit for the for the kingdom. Father Justin, that's a very, very interesting point. And it just seems like there's such a pastoral need in the world right now and such pre-shortage yeah. that that's a really powerful thing to consider. Can you share more about sure. that? Sure. Yeah. Well, so there's two ways to think about it. There's either the way to think about it from uh, lack or the way to think about it from abundance, Right. And so the 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 person, the priest who who consecrates himself uh, in union with Christ and gives up the great good of marriage and and even the greatest good of the marriage, which is 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 having children, uh, for the sake of the kingdom, is producing more fruit for the whole body of Christ, which will leaven the whole, which will actually produce more fruit, will actually produce more priests that way. Whereas the priest who is both married and is ordained um, doesn't actually produce that fruit, right? So, do you think it's kind of short-sighted? Then is that the, the, well, the, yeah, yeah. So, I think people think that well, if we just start having married priests, that would fix all the problems. But in fact, from a spiritual point of view, in terms of the actual communion that we share as the body of Christ, there's actually less sacrifice being made. So, do we need more sacrifice being made for the sake of the church, or do we need less sacrifices mm-hmm. being made? And if we change that, where we start ordaining priests because because we think we don't have enough, we're actually instituting. Uh, less sacrificial offerings. So being it kind of like turns life. into a death spiral. Well, I, I think that, well, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a strong way to say but, but a death, a but death that, spiral. That's Ryan, right? That's, yeah, that's a, but you know, it, it brings up a very, very valid point. And it, because for me, the way I look at that, the ordinariate, for example, and even what JP two was doing initially in relationship with people coming into the faith and, and exercising a married state of, of ministry, um, I'm very open to it. So, you know, like I, I look at it very collegially, but I also look at it in the tradition of our faith and respect yeah. to there have been married priests in the Eastern Rite Church. There are married priests. 
And I, I'm definitely not closed-minded to it. But let me say this. If you put me in the middle of the major seminary that I went to at St. Vincent de Paul in, in, in Boynton Beach, Florida, and you gave me an option to marry and be a priest— I would not be a celibate priest today yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah, I'm sure. I wouldn't yeah. have even considered it. And and even going back when I was a youth director for two years and I fell in love with the ministry of mm-hmm. the priesthood, if you gave me an op- opportunity to become a priest and be married, I would have pursued that yeah. so quickly and not even consider celibacy. But even in the wisdom of the church, like, you, you know, how he came over and now that he's Catholic and then... He has kids in the church now. Now these kids would be celibate priests. Like, you know, the 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 married priest. There was, you know, kind of a dispensation is what they call it for special circumstances. So it's not it's not even like, hey, married priest is a thing. Like, you know, from the beginning, it's always that the 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 highest calling is to be celibate, right? Because St. Paul explained that. In that's right. It's the highest calling. And then, and then you've also got like, and, and it's a calling, right? Like God invites you to this, right? Mm-hmm. So that invitation, if we were to just give people choices, would it wouldn't disappear, but it would be very difficult to, to, to kind See, of. See, now, now, I don't know. So we have a celibate priest, we have a married priest, and we have a guy who left the seminary. Yeah. To get married. Well, I got kicked out. But got everything. You got a kicked out no, seminary? Well, God it, broke up with well, me. Remember when we, did, when we did the other show, we were talking about Meatless Fridays, and I said that most people need a straight thing, right? So if yeah. you say, uh, don't eat meat or do something else, people usually pick or something else and end up, actually, that something else ends up being nothing. I'm a perfect example and, of that. And, and so I think in many ways, what the church is, because the church is ambiguous about the, the standards for the priesthood. So it's not, you know, no one's imposed. Father Rich didn't get celibacy imposed on him. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I want to be a priest. That's what it takes. That's what mm-hmm. I'll do. And by accepting that and living that well actually is gaining fruit for the whole body of Christ, mm-hmm. which my life doesn't do. Now, the reason why the, the dispensation for people like me is made is because I can produce fruit in another part of the kingdom, which is that uh, growing up as a Protestant, as a very, 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 very Protestant person, I know how to reach across in a really particular way to people and draw more people into the fullness of the faith. Whereas lots of lifelong Catholics, you know, when, when someone comes up to a lifelong Catholic, nine times out of ten, even a lot of times the priest, and they say, well, well why do y'all worship Mary? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know where to start with you, right? Yeah. I mean, for because like we don't worship Mary. What are you talking about, you fool? Um, but for me, I I used to think that very thing. Uh, I used to be that person, and so I know exactly how to answer that question mm-hmm. to a whole variety of people that I can draw people in and draw them along uh, in a really unique way. Where actually, even my children, mm-hmm. they won't be able to do because they they'll grow up in a Catholic environment mm-hmm. and they won't have that kind mm-hmm. of uh, that kind of charism, as it were, mm-hmm. yeah. which is the, the which is the gift that we those of us who are converts actually bring in. To that's how we are building up the whole body of Christ. Right. And, and, and that's what I love about the name of your your existence as the chair. So what's the name of the ordinary, Ryan? Well, it's it's called the personal <laughs> ordinariate of the chair, St. Peter. Boom. And, and, and it's, it's that personal ordinariate of the chair that you are ministering to the universality of the church. And off camera, you shared a little bit about what that looks like in the provisions of what this is right now in the history of the church and and how it kind of how it appears of 
you know, where is this going? Is, is this going to be a continued right in the church um, of entry and, and this exercise of a married priesthood, in your opinion? Or give us, a, you know, color that in a little bit more. Yeah, first. I think, you know, what we're seeing is that there, it was originally set up for uh, groups of Anglican. That's what Anglicanorum Chetibus means, which was the document that was promulgated in 2009. Uh, but what we're continuing to see is um, as, long, uh, can, as well as Anglicans coming over of various stripes, also Protestants of, of all kinds coming into the church. Um, and we have lots of converts. Uh, in fact, our parish, which has about 850 families, is almost half converts. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an amazing thing. Are the other half uh, former Anglicans or well, Episcopalians? Those, well, those would be converts too, right? I mean, those, okay. Yeah, uh, they're Catholic. No, I don't know if they I mean, came over. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, so yeah, they've come over at different times in, okay. in various ways. Um now, it's tricky to keep track of that number because once they come over and they start having more children, then those kids are lifelong Catholics yeah. and all of that. But we have, a con- we have a continuous stream of people coming in. And one of the things that we've done uh, is that we've kept, we've tried to keep our parishes small. Some of us don't have a problem keeping them small, but um, <laughs> that, uh, that we, we, we try to do RCIA one on one. So I, I take all my, I take all the RCIA candidates myself. And, and um, instead of being in a big classroom with 20 people and all that, because I can answer those questions one to one. And almost always I've thought that thought before, right? I've had that very same question and I've had to work through it to get on the other side to not only, uh, Received the gift of full communion of the Catholic Church, but also to receive the call to be a priest. And so I mean, I've had to answer for myself uh, a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of questions. And so that's our particular gift. And I think that it's just going to continue to grow. It's going to continue uh, to go that way because the Catholic Church is true. Um, and uh, and it's what every heart longs for is is the truth of the full communion. Uh, and and what, what drew me and what I think all this is rooted in is that uh, Ronald Knox, who also was a great convert mm-hmm. uh, of the last century, was an Anglican who converted, and he says that um, for uh, for a Protestant, the Church as the body of Christ is just an idea, uh, but for the Catholic, it's a fact, uh, it's a reality, and so uh, the the life of celibacy that Father Rich lives is not just for Father Rich; it's for the whole body of Christ. His denial of himself of a very good, great, and remarkable good of being married and having children. Uh, not doing that for the sake of Jesus Christ is not just for himself and his own, uh, you know, I can do it, but it is infused uh, from the heart of Christ all the way to the back fat and everywhere in between. Right. I was going to say, too, that the that celibacy is a lot of women are called to it, uh, obviously nuns, but lay people are consecrated called virgins. consecrated virgins. Yeah, like I've met a few of those, you know, um, so. You know, it's it is a calling that bears fruit in the church, mm-hmm. whether you're a priest or a nun or mm-hmm. a layperson. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think a lot of people really recognize that. No, it's it's very very true. And I, you know, just sharing with you, this is so illuminating, mm-hmm. Father Justin, to hear you talk so richly from your tradition and your background and your journey, and to realize that this is really serving the church in such a beautiful way. And I, I'm thinking of this experience that I had and, and the way you described my priesthood. I was in Mexico in Monterey and I was celebrating a wedding and I happened to celebrate a Sunday liturgy uh, down there at this shrine of Our Lady of Fatima. And it's actually a, a location where St. John Paul II contributed a crown. He crowned uh-huh. Mary down there um, in his trip when he went to Monterey a number of years ago. I think it was uh, late 70s or something. And... Um, but while I was there, I, I busted my knee all over again, and I tore my ligaments, and I had to make it to celebrate Mass for this Korean community. 
And and the Korean community that was there, I, I I showed up and I'm I'm I I'm hobbling to church, hobbling to the sanctuary, get behind the altar, reference the altar, and I start celebrating mass. I go through the homily and I, I we profess the creed, and then we get to the point in the liturgy where I consecrate the Eucharist. And up until that point, and all of my studies, I've always looked at myself as a steward. I've always looked at myself of the stewardship of what Christ accomplished and take this. This is my body. Take this. Drink this. This is my blood. This action, this Eucharistic action, I've always looked at it in a point of reverence and I am humbled and I am unworthy. At that singular moment, when I lifted up the host, I realized it was like, take this is my body offered up for you. I'm being invited in my celibacy to take my body, to take my blood, and to offer it in mm-hmm. sacrifice. And and Christ is instructing me and teaching me that this is what your celibacy is for. Mm. And you could study it, you can look at it, you can have contact with it. But when it comes to a point of revelation, like it was monumental mm. and it made me appreciate my celibacy so much more. Mm. You know, one of the, well, two things that I think a lot of people who are proponents of the uh, relaxing of priestly celibacy rules bring up. Number one is um, they say that priestly celibacy contributes to the sexual abuse crisis. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, um, I can't say that that is more wrong than it actually is because it is such, thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, all all the statistics bear out that a celibate man is no more likely to be a, a perpetrator of sexual abuse than a married man. And in fact, it's actually quite the opposite way that married men are the, by far the vast perpetrators of sexual crimes. Mm-hmm. There ain't no celibates in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, I think there's a definitely a volume issue there. You probably want to go at like a per capita. Right. Yeah, know. I mean, there's, there's not celibate teachers. There's not celibate Boy Scout leaders. There's not... Coaches, right. you know, doctors, and also doctors all right. that stuff. Yeah. So, so celibacy is not the heart, or it's not like, wow, this priest doesn't get any, so he has to go become a. He's <laughs> now a all of a sudden yeah. a, a ter- attracted the children. Yeah. It's just yeah. human psychology doesn't work that. It's way. born. It's born out of sexual immorality, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. I think when Pope Benedict started to describe the product of the sexual revolution and what happened subsequent to that is important points, and we need to look at this sociologically because it is a social issue. It is a. It's an issue that is within. Uh, our humanity and mm-hmm. our human family. So it's something that we need to look at. It's not a product of celibacy. It's a it's product not. of sexual immorality. And and that is sinful. Right. So, you know, to have clear boundaries, to be able to speak about that is very, very important. And celibacy could only be a catalyst to greater equity, greater love, and greater justice. And when, live it, when lived properly, and I try to live it as, as properly as I possibly can, Got to go to confession because I'm a sinner, and I, you know, I continue to wrestle with my own, my own, uh, my own living out of this reality that is such a gift to me. Um, so it's an ascent, but in the process of it, it's like to to look at what celibacy can offer. And Father Justin, what a gift that you are to me personally, hearing from your perspective. But to to offer that is something that is so rooted in the offering of Christ celibacy. And my brothers and sisters, that brought the salvation of the world and the redemption of our humanity and our fallen nature. So 
to to not you know attack that yeah. celibate yeah, well, reality. And I think very far, very just to only add to that, very far from it being the root of the sexual abuse crisis, which it's a sociological problem, but it's also a theological problem. It's a question of who God is, because the person who, uh, whether a priest or a sister or a consecrated virgin who's in the lay state. Wherever they are, and when they dedicate themselves to that life, what they're actually saying is that God can be loved, mm. that God is an object of love in this world. And oh, that, that's a beautiful And, and that, that God isn't an abstract concept, that God isn't something far, far away, but that God can actually make you happy. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Because Christ is celibate because he is essentially united to the Father. That's that's why he's he can be free. And it's also at the root of what the nature of Christ's mission is, because the church is not built primarily through biological ascription, but through conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, every, the church, no one is born a Catholic. You are baptized a Catholic. Um, there, there are no born Catholics. Uh, you are made one through conversion. Uh, and, and we constantly have to live into that conversion <coughs> and the celibate life. Uh, is an icon of that for all of us to know that God actually can make you happy in this world. And as somebody who's married, I can tell you that my wife and I have a wonderful marriage. And they say, well, you know, celibate is so lonely. Well, there's nothing worse in the world to be married and to be lonely. And the person that you vowed to be with the rest of your life is supposed to be making you happy and, and you're still lonely. Yeah, there's there's the old joke yeah. that there's two bishops and they're talking about uh, priestly celibacy and they're debating whether or not they should start, you know, petitioning the Holy Father to get uh, married priests. And they're like, well, why don't we get a married man's perspective on this? So they go up to the married man. They say, look, we're considering getting married priests in here. Um, and the guy's like, okay, cool. Tell me about it. So the bishop's like, well, number one, you get to, you know, to offer the sacrifice of the mass. And he's like, cool, great. You get to offer the sacraments. Cool. You get to wear the vestments. Great. Sounds great. What are the downsides? He said, well, you have to take a vow of obedience. You have to take a vow of celibacy and you have to take a vow of poverty. And the married man goes and looks at the bishop. He's like, no sex, no money. And I have to obey. How's that any different than marriage? (laughs) 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 But yeah, people who want to get rid of uh, priestly celibacy office say that this is going to solve the, the pre shortage crisis. And I mean, I know a lot of men who'd be like, Wow, I could be a priest and married. I get the cake and eat it too. They would run out for it, but what would that actually look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would I think fundamentally change the view of 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 the priesthood of the sacraments. And Pope Francis even himself said, "Look, priestly celibacy is not a uh, it's not a dogma. It's it's a it's a uh, a personal choice on the part of the priest. It's something that could be changed." But he said, "Personally, I don't think it should be changed because we have." hundreds of years and millennia of good practice and the mm-hmm. good fruits mm-hmm. of it. And it's, as he said, as Pope Francis said, it's a discipline, <clears throat> right? It's a, it's an absolute discipline, uh, but it is a discipline that bears fruit. Right. And it has, it has borne fruit and it will continue to bear fruit. And that's, that's an important, important subject for celibacy. But when I, when I reflect on where the church is moving, it's more of an administrative need. And when we look at the permanent diaconate, when we look at, and we've talked about this in previous episodes mm-hmm. as well, when we look at the needs of these specific churches and gatherings and groups of people, there is the potentials of extending faculties that will minister to the needs of the people that we can explore within the permanent <clears throat> diaconate, as well as cover the needs that are sacerdotal in nature and priestly in nature, mm-hmm. so that you can still operate in these central hubs of your priesthood being able to minister to wider groups of people, even though the numbers 
may diminish or may kind of waver or may be, you know, small in, in number. And that's okay. I think that's, yeah, that's, I, I think that is wise. And we've talked about that before. And I do think that that is a, probably a more long-term and more um, measured approach to mm-hmm. solve the problems. Now, when we wrap these episodes up, we typically, we do an inquisition where we ask Father a ridiculous question. But since he's already made the sacrifice of celibacy and you haven't, you are the target of the inquisition. Oh, I'm enjoying this. Father Justin, you are always welcome on this show. So, but because you're a guest, we're going to take it easy on you. And I think this is something that would be very few people on this earth could really answer is, and this is really, what are the challenges that maybe your wife experiences as you being a, a priest, what are the challenges that she feels, um, and how does she help you cope with your priesthood? Uh, I want to add to that. Can I add something to that? Do you hear confessions? <laughs> can, you, can you hear the confession of your wife? <laughs> that would be awkward. Can. You could. I mean, there's no law, but. No. <laughs> no. 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 Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. I hate your guts. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. I fantasize about stabbing my husband in the face to <laughs> I know. I already know. So yeah. <laughs> your penance is to go make me a sandwich. <laughs> your penance no, is to no, go do, make no, me a sandwich. We don't do that kind of stuff. No, we don't do that. Um, no, I can't. No, come on. Couldn't, couldn't answer for her? Yeah. No, no. Well, it's tough because, you know, I mean, she's her own person. Right, right. I and mean, that's the thing, and I think that um, I mean, it's the thing that she, you know she, well, I, she. I guess let me rephrase the question: just on your on your family life and on your marriage, how does that how does the stress of your priesthood really impact that? Yeah, well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that um, the, the there's like anything that that takes a lot of uh, of your time. There's the the reality that you're stretching a lot of different ways, right? But a banker has the same thing, or, mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's not unique to the priesthood. What's what's unique to the priesthood um, is is what Father Rich actually said is that um, people uh, can make claims on you as a priest mm-hmm. um, that is unique to being the priest. Um, they actually can and do make claims and, and do as they should. It's, it's their right uh, as as a part of the people of God to make claims on you, and that's a weird spot uh, to have someone make claims on your dad or your husband like that, mm-hmm. um, which are are theirs to make, um, uh, which. In some ways, they have entrusted their soul uh, to this person who is also your father or or your husband, uh, and so your relationship with that person is always, to some degree, going to be textured by that. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it, but it is a thing, right? It's a it's just a weight that you know is there, and and then personally around that is is um, you know we all. Uh, I think especially priests now, all of us, we all want to be liked. You know, mm-hmm. I think there was a time when priests didn't care if they liked them or not, but not now. You know, we all want to be liked. And so so knowing how to balance what really are the legitimate claims upon you and what are, what you just are saying yes to because you want people to like you, uh, it's in really sharp focus when you got a family. Yeah. Um, do your kids ever call you father, dad? No. No? No. They, they do, though. They were really disappointed uh, whenever I went from being a deacon to being a priest. They thought being a deacon was good, and okay. they didn't want me to be a priest. And uh, But now it's okay. Uh-huh. Uh, it's okay. And um, and they they uh, give me comments about when I mess stuff up, you know. And they, <laughs> Dad, I'm, just, I'm not going to really, I don't want to get into it, but your rubrics, little yeah, off. Yeah, they, they, uh, so they, they pay attention to that stuff. Um, and um, and so they, you know, they like that. Um and which you know, for me is a great joy, right? Mm-hmm. To see my kids, um, my kids like going to mass. It's 
you know, as a parent, what more, as, as a priest, what more do you want when people uh, are glad to be at mass? Um, but I, I think those are the things that, that exert, I, I don't think there's stresses necessarily, but there's pressure, right? It's just like, those are things that you know you have to navigate because, um, because it's there and um, it's there for, it's there for celibate priests as much as it is for married priests. Uh, but how you navigate is differently, yep. right? Because mm-hmm. when Father Rich gets sick of people, he just goes and closes his door and locks it and turns his music on. When I do that, then, you know, my one-year-old goes and bathes me in yogurt or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then I have to find the next door, but uh, uh, I think that's probably it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, it's really something is. that you, most people couldn't even really imagine. But no. yeah, this was a great episode. Yeah, this was absolutely yeah. great. And speaking of weight, the weight off of my shoulders, my brother, you know, not having the Inquisition this week is a, is a nice thing. Oh, wait till next you. week. <sighs> wait till next week. Why, are you going to cover me in yoga? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, possibly. Vertus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a virtues violation, Padre. So, my brothers and sisters, thank you for joining us. As always, we are the Catholic Talk Show. And we do have a blast here. This has been a fantastic episode. Father Justin, what a joy to have you. And, uh, you know, continue to journey with us in every single way that we're out there in the interwebs. We're audio files, we're video files, we're in YouTube, and we're on all of the platforms out there. So make sure you're connecting with us at www.catholictalkshow.com. See you next week. God bless.